This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello and welcome to your latest podcast on the Blood Red channel. My name is Paul Wheelock and this week a true Liverpool FC legend makes his return to the city. Kevin Keegan will be at Waterstones in town on Wednesday afternoon to promote his brilliant new autobiography, My Life in Football. The book was written with Daniel Taylor, the chief football writer for The Guardian and The Observer newspapers and the Sports Journalist Association Football Journalist of the Year for the past three years. I picked up the phone to Daniel before he met up with Kevin for the latest leg of the book signing tour. So much of the focus on the book has surrounded the explosive revelations regarding Kevin's second spell in charge of Newcastle. But as Daniel explains in our chat, there is much more to his story, not least the six years at Liverpool that transformed his career and life, and the importance of the manager who signed him at Anfield, the one and only Bill Shankly. Kevin said recently that Jurgen Klopp is the modern manager he would like to play under the most. And in this podcast, Daniel talks about the similarities between the two, Liverpool's performance at Chelsea at the weekend, the difference between Klopp and Jose Mourinho, why it would be an incredible achievement for the Reds to win the Premier League this season, and about Rian Brewster, who sat down with Daniel late last year to talk about the racist abuse he has received in his young and highly promising career. I hope you enjoyed this podcast, and we'll be back tomorrow with our preview of Liverpool's Champions League clash in Napoli. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Well, hi Danny, thanks very much for taking time out what must be a busy week to speak to me on this podcast. It's a pleasure. You're looking forward to uh, Newcastle tonight. We're speaking on Tuesday. That's the the next leg of the the book tour because we've got you on to talk about Liverpool and specifically one of the best players in the club's history, Kevin Keegan. Uh, if people don't realise, you've written his autobiography, My Life in Football, uh, which is out on Thursday, and you, you're currently going around the country to promote it, including coming to Liverpool on Wednesday. But as I said, then it's it's Newcastle tonight. Uh, I know you've been in this position before as an author, but is it an exciting time? Uh, weeks like this. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, we, we kicked off yesterday. We started in Manchester yesterday, and then and then there was an evening do in uh, in Oswestry, and then obviously Newcastle tonight, which is I think you know you know going to be huge. There's um, I think it's you know it sold out very quickly, and the Newcastle public are just you know incredible sort of reaction. Really, you know they they were singing Keegan's name at the game on Saturday, and they had a big banner, and obviously you know they've they've got all the Mike Ashley protests up there at the moment. So the timing of the book, I mean, obviously when I you know when we finished writing it. A few months ago, we never realised that the timing of it was going to coincide with this period at Newcastle. There's all this unrest. So, and then, yeah, as you say, um, the slight, not disappointment, I suppose, but there has been a lot of publicity about the Newcastle side where, you know, this is Kevin Keegan's life story. So, yeah, you know, there's, there's six years at Liverpool to take into account and, um, you know, his time, you know, when he left Liverpool to go to Hamburg, etc. So, it, it's not, even though Newcastle, is, I understand the why there's so much publicity on the Mike Ashley stuff, there is obviously a, a, a you know, a strong flavour of it, of what else has happened in his career, and obviously that time at Liverpool, I mean, he pretty much won everything there, didn't yeah. he, really, and, you know, his last game was the European Cup final, so, you know, he's got great memories from that time, and it's been funny, because really, I've, I've seen Liverpool fans get in touch and just say, you know, they, they can still remember crying when Kevin Keegan left, and, him, you know, he was their first hero, and all this sort of stuff so you know, it's been quite educational almost really sort of to, to learn about that period you know all the Shankly period and and then obviously Bob Paisley and everything so you know to actually spend quality time I'd sort of say you know sitting opposite someone who could tell you what it was really like it's been you know nice for me as a, as a, as a 
journalist to sort of actually sort of learn about that side. Just how did you get into becoming a ghostwriter for this book? What's the kind of process? Does Kevin approach you or do you approach him? No, it's um, it's a bit strange. I've never met Kevin, never spoken to him. I've interviewed him a couple of times when he was at Man City, but I mean, there was no real relationship there. Um, and it's just um, the publisher, I was speaking to the publisher about another book idea that I had, and then they just basically said, well, you know, would you fancy writing Kevin Keegan's? And I was... I, I presume, I think a lot of people did. I just thought that he, he would live somewhere sort of remote in Northumberland, and I, <laughs> I'm in the northwest, so I just thought, well, you know, that'd be logistically that might be a bit of a nightmare. But then I found out he actually lives in uh, in Cheshire, so you know, it's it, it, you know, it's 15 minute drive basically for me. And um, so yeah, I mean, the first time I met him properly was just um, you know, we just went for coffee, and obviously I suppose Kevin was. <laughs> probably sizing me up a little bit and, uh, <laughs> you know we just sort of went from there really but you know I have to say he, he and his family you know his wife and you know they've been incredibly accommodating and you know I just go around and sit in the house and Jean his wife is always you know just bringing us toast and cups of tea and you know he's you know really great family right his daughters his grandkids um, all, they all live very close to each other and a very close family yeah, and what goes into writing someone's autobiography? Obviously, as someone as as famous as Kevin Keegan, how long did you get to spend with him before actually the book's been published and done? And um, well, it's a good. Someone said to me, when you um, when you spend time, you know, because it's the first time I've ghosted a book. It's my fifth book, but it's the first one I've actually ghosted. And someone said, you know, when you're sitting with someone, you know, don't really go over two hours because after that amount of time, you know, they concentrate, they'll get tired, and their concentration and memory will start fading and you know you, you want to get the best stuff so, but with, with I mean there must have I'd go around and sit with Kevin in his front room and there were times where we'd basically do three or four hours in the morning have a bit of lunch and yeah. then he'd be like you know slapping his hands together saying right you know so just just classic Kevin really they're very enthusiastic I mean you know just to go back to Shankly he always he always refers to the quote from Shankly where he basically said you know if Shankly said you know if you were street cleaner make you know make make sure you've got the cleanest street yeah. there is basically and that, that's the way Kevin operates you know if he's doing a book he wants to do it properly um, you know so he, he he couldn't have been he was very generous with his time put it that way and I'd go around once a week sit with him we tend to sort of do do it in order really you know so we'd start off childhood then obviously sort of done, um, Scunthorpe um, then obviously the lucky break we took him to Liverpool because it was a lucky break um, and then obviously, you know, once he was at Liverpool, he went straight in the team, scored on his debut, and then, you know, just his life changed up very, very quickly. <laughs> when you're sitting across from him in his house or a coffee shop and <clears throat> he's telling you these stories, do you sometimes have to check yourself? I know you, you, you speak to famous people and high-profile sports people in your career, but with someone like Kevin, is it quite a privilege to, to be hearing what he's telling yeah, you? Yeah, I, 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 can't, I can't say that if it's a massive privilege. And, at one point, you know, I took my um, took my son round to meet him, and, and Kevin. He, I, I don't think I've ever met anybody who is so good with the public. You know, I've seen it obviously from just going out into the village where he lives. And yesterday at the signing, you know, Kevin was sort of singing "Happy Birthday" into into video phones, you know, for people's relatives. <laughs> and all, you know, he just, you know, he he, he would, he's so good with his time. But when I went round with my son, basically, my son ended up with all sorts of signed souvenirs, you know, an old England shirt and an old England badge and basically basically Kevin got his Ballon d'Ors out and you just think wow. I'm stood there like, holding these but and, and his golden boots <laughs> you know, you know, I'm a football fan basically for and I mean I'd say his Ballon d'Ors by the way, it's like, you know, I've seen 
seen better pool trophies. <laughs> it's, it's, it's basically a piece of well it's glued together the glue's coming out now and one of them's got a rattle and if you actually shake it it's a bolt loose at the bottom of it so he um, yeah he's been great yeah and yeah you know I'm a football fan basically so I'm, I am sitting opposite and sometimes thinking you know this is this is this is good basically <laughs> it's um, you know it's nice to hear and you know it's as I say it's quite educational really just to sort of hear from the inside you know we spend a lot of time in in football journalism sort of on the outside and there's always you know a press officer or some sort of barrier or you know it's very hard to actually get that that kind of access these days and you know so to get you know however many hours of one-on-one sort of interviews with with someone who's actually you know won 60 60 on England caps you know twice the only English player in history has won the won the Ballon d'Or twice not that he ever shows off about it <laughs> Um, you know, he just, yeah, it does. It's, it's really strange. He just, you know, he, if I hadn't mentioned that side of things, like his OBE and the fact he's won the European Football League, I don't think he would have mentioned it. You know, I had to kind of bring it up. So, you know, he's really not a showy person whatsoever, and um, you know, very much. I know it's a bit of a cliche, but very much um, more interested in team honours than individual honours. Um, you know, he won the Golden Boot as the, as the leading scorer at Southampton, and again, just. It, it, I mean, he didn't, he didn't want to be rude to like, the, the organisers of the competition, but it, it really didn't matter to him. Yeah. Um, you know, it just wasn't wasn't something that he that he saw as a personal goal, basically. You clearly built up a rapport with Kevin over this past year before the books come out. Do you think in future generations of journalists, footballers' relationship, you, it would be able to have that? Because from my experience and from reading what stuff like you guys do, it, it seems like that relationship's changed in in, in the more modern times. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't think it can come back, really. It's just, um, there's, there's such a divide now, and you just don't get that, that quality time with, with and, you, and you don't get those relationships um, unless, you know, in, in normal football journalism, basically, anymore. It's very hard. I mean, all the footballers are surrounded now with PR people. Of, the clubs have got small armies of, I mean, Liverpool, I have to say, is actually probably the best in the Premier League. They're plus their media department, superb, but there are others, um Manchester <laughs> um, United being one, I'd definitely say where where it's like a closed shop. You know, they, they basically want to keep you out. You know, they pull the shutters down, and they don't get that. Basically, you know, positive. They, they also want positive press, but they are, but they won't accommodate the press. So, so it's very hard to actually get time with. You know, I mean, for example, a lot of I managers in the Premier League have press conferences once a week, and it's five minutes basically. Yeah. And in that five minutes, they're sitting behind. A, a table sort of 15 feet away it's impossible to build any rapport or, or you know so it's you know they, they just fend off the question I'm sure you know, you know everyone watches it on Sky and everything and it's, it's rare these days that you actually get someone as Kevin does who will, who will always have an opinion you know articulate enough to express it very well and um, you know and just basically got his own mind you know he doesn't need a press officer sort of sitting there telling him how he should answer it, or media training, which is what you know a lot of my players and managers get these days. Which is you know, so you see them and the, you can always see the the brain kind of working before they answer. You know, so uh, you know a lot of a lot of player interviews now and manager interviews are very dull, really, for you know to read and to write. Unfortunately, <laughs> I'm sure you know. Don't get me wrong. I'm sure the football clubs could 
come out and say, well, you know, there's a reason why, and you know, the media's grown so much that you know they've they've had to take these steps, and there's you know, they've they've got, I'm sure they've got their reasons, but unfortunately, it's created this this divide where you just can't have that kind of relationship, and, it's, and then therefore you can't often see the personality of these people. Definitely. I'm sure from everything we've read around the publicity before the book's been uh, been hits the shops about Kevin and Newcastle, it's certainly not going to be dull. But as you touched on yourself, that that's been the main focus. But I imagine there's a lot for for Liverpool supporters to get stuck into in the book. Yeah, well, there's two huge chapters. I have to say, I've never um, never known anybody um, talk about a manager with as much um, awe, really, and, and, and admiration, and and all the rest of it is, is Kevin with with Bill uh, sorry, with, uh, with, 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 um, with with Bill Shankly mm-hmm. yeah. um, just you know incredible um, it, well I'll just say you know Clough Matt Busby Ferguson you know I've spoken to players you know played for all these managers but but, but Ke- I think I think when Bill Shankly left Liverpool I think Kevin was destroyed for, for want of a better word you know it he just could not understand it, and he actually said, you know, some a part of him, as much as you know, he was still happy at Liverpool. Don't get me wrong, and he 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 had big respect for Bob Paisley, and you know, he achieved more actually after Bill Shankly left than, than when he was there. But he actually, had, you know, something something changed for him really because he was, you know, he used to play for for Shankly, and the connection between them. I think you know, you know, he. There was a real connection. I think basically the sort of mining backgrounds of the two had a, yeah. a lot in common, and I think I think Kevin was definitely one of Shankly's favourites, and obviously Kevin also owed, owed his career really because he was he was sort of drifting along at Scunthorpe, and then um, you know there weren't there weren't a great many clubs wanting him wanting to take him away from Scunthorpe, so you know he obviously owed him a great amount, and then basically when he was at Liverpool straight into the team as I said earlier and you know scored in his debut and then just that right you know he basically just sort of after that everything just just fell into place really you know just you know finishing off with the um, with the European Cup um, yeah the, the one thing that's slightly strange I suppose is that Kevin it was Kevin's decision to leave Liverpool mm-hmm. which which I think is quite unusual because especially in that time it was normally Liverpool who would decide if you were going to leave and the players would would obviously never want to leave Liverpool, you know. So, so I think that was. That, I think a lot of fans, I can totally understand why, probably found that quite hard to sort of understand. And I think, um, I think some of Kevin's teammates, you know, in Callahan's start, is basically just, you know, just said to him, you know, why, why, you know, they love you here. Why would you, you know, we're going to win, keep winning trophies. Why? But Kevin's, Kevin describes himself as a, as a kind of a five-year person. Yeah. You know, he likes to do five years, and then he wants to see what else there is. And obviously, he actually, he actually did six years at Anfield, and but then he went to Hamburg, and uh, people forget this really, but he, he, you know, he went to Hamburg, and that's where he won his European Football of the Year awards, and he was really the the first one, I think, who went abroad and showed that it, you know he can be a huge success abroad. But people people tend to forget that people people sort of always say you know there aren't that many people that have gone abroad and made a you know made a good fist of it, but but you know Kevin couldn't really have done much more. He got they won the Bundesliga and then, and then he got them to a, a European Cup final and he won two European Football of the Year awards wow. so yeah. Yeah, that isn't too bad not at all the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo uh, in, in promoting the book, I've been reading some of uh, the interviews Kevin's been doing, and uh, 
I noticed in one of them he said of all the top modern managers, the one he would like to have played to have played under the most is Jurgen Klopp, the current Liverpool manager. Do you see similarities b- between the two? Um, definitely in terms of the way they like to play. Cause, I mean, Liverpool now, you know, I would say that probably. I mean, probably, well, it's very close, but given the choice, I'd probably say Liverpool are the more attractive team now than Manchester City, which is a hell of a compliment. Yeah. Because Manchester City, a, you know, incredible attacking team, and um, but Liverpool kind of, you know, they're sort of slight counter-attacking style. They just the, the way that when they break at pace, I think there's nothing really better in English football at the moment in terms of. Um, the speed at which they attack, and you know, Kevin obviously is team with them as the entertainers. Um, it's a bit, of a, it's a strange one. It's a bit of a slight myth that whole thing. Um, yes, they were very entertaining, and that uh, sort of championship season when they were going head to head with Manchester United, Manchester United came out from twelve points down. Yeah, that was obviously sort of great soap opera. But in that actual season, Liverpool and Manchester United both scored more than than Newcastle, and the whole sort of thing about, you know, every game is 4-3. Yeah. Keegan only actually had two games in his in his managerial career in Newcastle where they were 4-3. Um, so it's not quite as sort of, it wasn't quite as bonkers as people remember really. All the stuff about, you know, Newcastle could never defend. They only actually conceded two more goals than Manchester United, they won the league. So they didn't have a bad defensive record. So there's a little bit of, you know, over time it sort of happens, a little bit of, thing, you know, manipulation of... Um, of history, I suppose, but but yeah, um, back, I mean, back to club. Yeah, I, I, it didn't surprise me when he said that. Um, he hates the teams, and I'll leave you to guess who he means. He hates <laughs> the teams that park the bus. Yeah. He just cannot cannot get that. You know, he, he he said to me that if any, you know, if he was ever had to do that, even for one game, he would feel incredibly unfulfilled and basically a, a nil nil draw for him away from home. You know. Another manager might think, yeah, that's good, but if he, you know, he he just would feel very unsatisfied. Um, he just cannot understand that that style of football. Um, you know, that whole parking the bus thing is really something that, that that drives him a bit mad, to be honest. So, so yeah, so I think he enjoys watching Liverpool, Manchester City, um, and yeah, it didn't surprise him at all. He said that really. So. Um, and you were at Stamford Bridge on Saturday, weren't you? Reporting for the Guardian uh, in the one-one draw at, at Chelsea. What did you make of it? Well, I, I, I'm I'm really really impressed with Liverpool at the moment. It just, I mean, it was a one-all draw. So if they'd lost that game, it would have been even if they'd lost. I kind of think that they could have come away thinking we'd just gone to Chelsea, yeah. who'd won all their other games at home this season, and bossed that game basically. I mean, and it was just. You know, sometimes you get those games where you can have all this, you know, and it was, it was shaping up to be that way, you know, in the press box I started to write my intro about, you know, a bad day for Liverpool. <laughs> but because it just, it was shaping up to be one of, you know, in quotes, you know, one of those days, you know, but I just, you know, from the first 10 to 15 minutes, you could see a little bit like when Liverpool played at, um, at Spurs, you could just see, you know, they're on it, they're on it today, they're, you know, they've, they've come here, basically chess out it's basically going to dictate this game and you know so they've basically I wouldn't say outplayed um, but certainly outpassed and been you know quite quite superior against two of the Champions League teams oh sorry Chelsea aren't in the Champions League remember they are in there a team team that's of top four aspirations I should say Um, 
you know, in, in successful away matches in the league, and I just think, you know, that's not a bad marker, really. Um, so, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll obviously know more on, on Sunday, won't we? But I, I can't also remember Manchester City ever doing particularly well at Anfield. So, no, no. You know, it, it wouldn't surprise me if, if Liverpool keep that going, really. You know, they've got all the momentum. They could have, you know, they really actually should have won on Saturday, if you think about it logically. But equally, when you equalise with, with um, you know, whatever it was, two or three minutes left, then you're kind of happy to get away with a point, really. But, um, but yeah, very impressive. I kind of think what happens if they're getting in a couple of injuries at, at the top, or, you know, if, you know, you know, I'm not sure they've got as deep a squad as Manchester City, perhaps. Um, but then again, if, well, well, yeah, I think that's a good point. You know, if Aguero got injured, they'd still have Jesus, and, you know, they've got players that can, that can also fit in. I'm not sure, you know, I think if, and uh, Salah's not maybe touching the form that he had last season, but I think he's still sort of troubling defences. Yeah. I, I don't think he can, you know, I don't think he's um, necessarily playing badly. I think it's his finishing at the moment, really, just is the one thing that's sort of letting him down. Um, but yeah, I mean, Liverpool look like they're going to take it all away, really, and I can't really see anything else apart from Liverpool and Man City um, with nobody else particularly near. Yeah, it, it's hard not to do this given the fact that they're kind of eternal rivals, Liverpool and Manchester United. But from a person who covers both clubs uh, in your day job, you can't help but contrast the mood of, of the clubs and the demeanour of the managers at the moment, can you? It just seems to be like polar opposites almost. Yeah, I mean, United have got you know big problems, and it's that classic sort of um, you know Liverpool fans are always complaining about the Mourinho styles. Can, Seems to hold out for, for a certain amount of time, but I think it's I think it wears the players down. You know, kind of criticising the players, and I mean, don't get me wrong, Klopp Cl- sometimes will criticise the players. Yeah. He came on the pitch and gave Shaqiri, um, you know, a bit of a telling off the other day, didn't he? Yeah. I, I think if that was Mourinho, that might have attracted bigger headlines. If you know what I mean. But then equally, Liverpool are playing brilliantly. They're playing for the manager. They got to the Champions League final last season. Yes. Mourinho keeps making these sort of little stabbing points that, you know, well, what is actually what? And yes, I suppose that, that is a legitimate thing that could be held against Klopp. But, he, but you, can, you know, you can see a team that's sort of on an upward curve and then you can see a team that's on a downward trajectory and, you know, it's very obvious. I think there's like 12 points be, between them already, is it? Or yeah. something like that. And, you know, if anything, that gap will probably keep getting bigger. So, yeah, United feels like it's... Um, it, um, it's reaching a point now where, which we've seen before with Mourinho and the, you know the whole clubs. I don't know. It's, it's strange. The whole club sort of feels um, uh, just it's not right. You know, it's not clicking. And you know, I'm not sure they've got their ambitions are, all, uh, are obviously very high. They've spent an awful lot of money, but it just ever since Ferguson left, basically, it's just you know it's been one it's been one thing after another. And you think if Mourinho goes well. You know they've tried the Moyes approach with giving someone a six-year contract, and that didn't work. And Van Hal, Van Hal was, partic- you know, a really dross time at Old Trafford, even if they could win the FA Cup. And then the Mourinho years not really going to be remembered as of any great affection, to put it that way. So, so yeah, it's. Um, and I think I think the fact that Liverpool. I mean, if you were a Manchester United supporter, I mean, you were watching Liverpool. And also watching Manchester City, you're thinking basically that is what we want for our club. Mm-hmm. So, so I think it probably is needling them that everything's so good at the moment at Anfield and City are obviously sort of you know, 
United are just sort of treading water, aren't they? Definitely. Just one final question on this the current Liverpool team before we kind of wrap up. Uh, as Mourinho could, I suppose, he's right to say that Klopp hasn't won anything with Liverpool. I suppose that's what the distractors will always have against him. In your experience over these last three years of watching Liverpool develop, do you think it's only a matter of time before they actually do win a trophy under the, under the manager? Well, it's difficult to say because it's not possible for Liverpool to finish second. And then to, it's never going to be easy to win the Champions League. And then so they're already out of the, the Carabao Cup. So I couldn't. Yeah, I mean it looks like a match of time, but it, but you can't obviously say that a great confidence. You know, Manchester City to finish above Manchester City this season would be an incredible feat. And you know, you, 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 it, it would need something amazing, basically. But bearing in mind, you know, the points gap last season. Um, so it's not, you know, it's, it's hard to say really. I mean, obviously, but I actually thought then going out of the Carabao Cup was was a blow really. I thought um, because you know it's just that, that obviously you know that that leaves the Champions League, the Premier League, and the FA Cup. So you know there's there's still three chances, but you know the Carabao Cup comes it comes on quite early, doesn't it, in February? And I think I know from when Manchester City won it and then went on to win the league that they, you know, they they found winning a trophy a really a great confidence boost for that sort of second half of the season really so so yeah I mean don't get me wrong as, as I've been saying Liverpool and Liverpool are clearly one of the two top teams in in, uh, in English football at the moment um, and there's a bit of a gap between them and the rest so yes you would think it you would think it's around the corner but also you can't you know you can't say that for absolute certainty certainly and just one player who will be back later in the season for Liverpool, who knows how much of an impact is it that he will have, but he's the young player, Rian Brewster, and I just wanted to bring him up because you did a brilliant interview with him late last year. It was a brave interview, and I know he's he's getting close to fitness now. You got to know him a little bit. What kind of talent and, and person of Liverpool got on the, the hands there? Because the way well, he came I think across... The fact that, I think the fact that um, at the age of um, 17 that he was willing to speak to a national newspaper and it was his idea... Um, you know, he worked very closely with. You know, he spoke. It wasn't just he didn't go off independently and do it. He spoke with Liverpool. Um, you know, to talk about the, the racism that he's, he's encountered. Um, and it was quite a shocking interview. Really. You know, it was basically it just the number of incidents that, that he's faced. And my big frustration from that whole thing is that one of the incidents. I, I do understand how some of them have. You cannot prove some of them if it's one person's word against another. And there's no, you know, there's no witnesses, there's no television evidence whatsoever. You know, it is difficult. Um, but but there, there was actually one incident in the um, in the under 17s World Cup final where there were, you know, what was said was actually said to one of his teammates. Right. And so he and the teammates both heard it. So it's actually two people's evidence. So you think, well, in which case that is a pretty strong case to, you know. But then obviously FIFA have written to the FA saying there's not enough evidence. So you just think, well, uh, you know, uh, people just people don't want to have this hanging over a World Cup final. You know, they'd rather kind of just like sweep it under the carpet. But, you know, so it's all very unsatisfactory, really. And, yeah, I mean, I still think him coming forward was, was a great thing because it showed that people can talk. You know, it got an incredible reaction. Um, I know Twitter's not the, the way to gauge everything, but... I don't think anything I've ever written before has ever had, yeah. you know, so many retweets and such a such a response, basically. And yeah, you know, I mean, the, the sad thing, yeah, obviously, is that pretty much, he, you know, he's what, what is it now? Sort of almost a year, is it? He's 
he's, he's had out or by the time yeah. he comes back. Um, so, I mean, you just have to look at the way Jürgen, Jürgen Klopp talks about him to know incredibly highly rated there. Um, it, it's, you know, it's not going to be easy to get in the first team now. I've been looking at um, Solanke sort of story, you know, not being on the bench even in the league games. Yeah. Just, you know, it's, there is a bit of a sort of pathway problem there, but fortunately that's what happens at the top clubs and, and you can see how how much Liverpool, when, when there was interest from Germany to try and take him away, you could see the, you know, Liverpool were very keen not to let that happen, basically. So they obviously rate him highly. So, so yeah, so looking forward to seeing him play, really. And, you know, it, he's, he's, he's very young, so he's got, got time ahead of him, hasn't he? So, just one final question before I let you get up to Newcastle. Took up enough, enough of your time already. But about Kevin Keegan, we start with him. Sh- we should end with him. He's not been in the limelight for some time, but everything I've read of the the book, his brilliant book. He's he's got so much passion, knowledge. He, he's honest. He's got expertise. Does the game need him back in a way, or do you reckon we we might see him back in football again? Well, I think it, it is it is sad that someone yeah with all that knowledge and. Yeah, I mean, he could he could have all sorts of, of roles in in the in the game, but but yeah, it's been a long time. I think the, the Newcastle experience, second time round with with Mike Ashley and everything that went on there, you know, he was he was very badly treated. I think uh, you know ended up in a, in a in a tribunal with him taking the club to court for constructive dismissal and winning his case. And some of the details that came out in that court case were, you know, he, he was treated really shabbily, and I, I think that soured him against management because he you know he found it such an ordeal really basically you know a court case hanging over him for for a year and you know i mean if he'd lost that you know huge financial gratifications for himself and his family so i think he he um he, he's lost his desire to be in management but that doesn't mean that you know there isn't a role for him somewhere but i mean he, he said to me before that you know he's got no great desire to go back i think he's got a, yeah he still works hard he's still you know going around doing company days and all sorts of uh, motivational speeches and you know very sort of um, popular guy when he goes out on the road and everything but but yeah I swear it is a bit of a, a bit of a shame that, that he has no place in football at the moment and you know his knowledge of football and the enthusiasm he's got you know is is something you think well why isn't there, why is there no place um, so yeah it's it's a shame Danny, thanks very much for your time, mate, and uh, best of luck with the uh, the launch of the book this week. No problem, nice to speak to you. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.